0: Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach podcast. Today is a pretty amazing episode. We have Zach Shellhass. You're going to love this interview. He's the uh, director and producer of Traders for a Cause, the amazing yearly conference. I just want to also remind you to please sign up for my free ebook, and that is at traderdiscipline.com. It's free. Also known as no cost to you and the name of my book is called discipline and finding your edge. Uh, I really want to give this to you i'm grateful for you being part of my Community also please subscribe to our YouTube channel and please comment and give us feedback because we listen to everything you guys ask for. Aloha for now. Okay, so welcome back, everybody, to the Wall Street Coach Podcast. I'm very excited today to have Zach Schellhaus with us, the Director of Traders for Cause. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about his formal bio, but he's going to tell us some secret things about himself as well in our podcast. I'm going to try to pull them out of you, Zach. Well, right. Welcome. I'm so happy you're here tonight. Thank it's you. It's great
2: to be here. Thank you for having me.
0: It's really awesome. So Zach, some of you should know this. And if you don't, you have to look further into Traders for a Cause and what Zach is up to, because he and his team create the most incredible experiences. I can't tell you how many traders have just waxed on to me about the impact Traders for Cause conference has, not only on their trading, but also just on their personal life and on their relationships to not feel so alone. Uh, But Zach was appointed the executive director of Traders for Cause back in February, 2019. Uh, Prior to his role actually as executive director, he was vice president Uh, also in 2018. Uh, He's a member of the board of directors since 2014, chairman of the conference committee, a volunteer for the organization's charity committee, and he's also the host of Traders for Cause podcast uh, and the executive producer of all the Traders for Cause events. Uh, Zach previously was general manager for S-Lab Trading back in 2012 to 2018. And prior to working for S-Lab, he actually worked as director of operations for a medical diagnostic uh, testing facility. So he's got a really diverse uh, career uh, from interactive marketing to advertising to wholesale distribution. Uh, Comes with a degree of marketing and social psychology from Lehigh University, where he served both as general manager of the campus radio station and director of the Student Activities Committee. He lives in Pennsylvania with his wife and two daughters. And I am just thrilled to have you. So thank you for coming, Zach.
2: What an introduction. I don't even know if I can live up to those expectations now.
0: Yes, you can. Yes, you can. (laughs) Absolutely. It's great to be here. I think when you and I first met, we had a very deep down the rabbit hole conversation and from that conversation on, I was like, Oh, I have to have you on my podcast. So it's good stuff. It was good stuff, it was good stuff. We were introduced by Brian Lee and um, Brian just raved about you. And then, you know, we got on the phone together. Did we come on phone or did we come on Zoom? I can't even remember.
2: I think we spoke on Zoom for the first time actually, was, yeah.
0: We, okay, it's like, honestly, I just remember the conversation. I, it's like, I think when you're in a good conversation, you don't, you just don't even remember certain details. You're just like caught up in the, Energy of the other person. So absolutely. Tell me, tell me how uh, this position has changed you personally.
2: Well, I think that we work in an industry when we talk about trading and finance, where the barometer for success and one's own self worth is is so based on profit and loss. Right. So if you're a good trader, you make money. If you're a bad trader, you lose money. And, you know, I found, you know, something about that industry wasn't really ticking a box for me in with regard to my personal fulfillment. Traders for a Cause, I started off as a volunteer working for the organization, and we started doing this event and raising money for good, and I immediately felt an overwhelming sense of fulfillment from, you know, putting together the events from, you know, for raising money, for inspiring all these traders and everything. So the role just continued to evolve until we got to the point where I could do it full time. And so I feel like I'm a natural born producer. Like I enjoy producing and directing. I enjoy hosting, I enjoy the the social aspects of what I do for traders for a cause. The, the the subject matter and you know being uh talking to traders and and finance in general just happens to be the industry that I found the niche. So, so I mean that's kind of how I got to where I am now and I, I'm I couldn't be happier. It's a very, very rewarding and, and I'm very blessed to be where I'm at. Yeah.
0: It's awesome. What do you feel if you were to describe Traders for a Cause to people who are not that deeply familiar with it, if they're, you know, living under a rock for some reason, what would you <laughs> say is the most important thing people need to know about what Traders for a Cause is up to?
2: So Traders for a Cause is unique in that there are many charitable organizations that are in the finance world, but Traders for a Cause specifically caters and and it was founded to cater to the individual trader who is typically not in a an environment with other traders they're at home at their own in their own home office behind their own desk socially isolated so to speak um and we serve two purposes number one we want to get them out from behind that desk and get them socializing with other traders developing a network a support network if you will camaraderie and Part B is to raise money for charity and teach them the importance of altruism and the importance of philanthropy and giving back. Um, You and I both know that traders in general tend to have a little bit of a a scarcity complex. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of difficult and it's a, it's a, a mission of our organization to figure out how to make them more charitable, to want to give back more and to hopefully educate them along the way so that if they are not financially rewarded yet, when they are, they will remember us and remember, you know, what we're what we're trying to instill.
0: Yeah, and you know, I just want to say uh, that that scarcity mindset. Not only if they work at getting rid of it, will they find themselves being more comfortable with being philanthropic, but they will also find their trading improves. Because Absolutely. scarcity mindset is even impacting their trading unconsciously.
2: Yeah, so interesting that that you know talking about that, we have this uh, this Boston special episode of my podcast that's coming out, and we we brushed upon this. And Lance uh, Breitstein, who's on our board of directors, was was a part of this video. He brought up something that I found very interesting was that whenever he takes a big big loss trading. He does two things. He buys himself a really nice meal and he donates a bunch to charity. And it's basically just to remind him, like, look, it really stinks to take a loss, but I can afford to take a loss. And it kind of keeps him grounded. I thought that that was really, really cool.
0: Yeah. I I just, Lance and I just connected, actually. He's going to come on my podcast. I'm happy. How wonderful. And we did have a nice, you know, exchange, just even by email. And I was like, wow, this guy's a deep, A deep soul. It was actually Bryce Foods who. Oh, nice. About Lance. Yeah, absolutely. uh, Recently. So that mindset, it sounds to me like that's he. I don't know him yet deeply, but that sounds like somebody who's done work on themselves. So just, I'm kind of curious, just after all your experience working with traders, seeing how they interact and operate. Do you see a difference between the traders who have done that sort of self-reflection and deep work on themselves versus those who maybe haven't dived into that yet?
2: Well, I think that the I think that there's a, a direct correlation between uh, you know a how long they last in the industry and how financially successful they are. I mean, I hate I hate bringing up that barometer since you know we know that that's not necessarily the be all end all, but in our industry, you know, your your worth is really measured using that yardstick, which is it's sad but true. I think that the the more experience they get, the longer they last. Um, well, first of all, the longer you last, typically the more successful you are because if you don't last, you you lose money. Um, I think they reach a point where. They start to do that self-reflection. And, and, you know, once you reach a certain level of financial achievement, you kind of look for other ways to to better yourself. So I I I kind of feel that it's a shame, but it's almost like they arrive first and then they start to to work on themselves after that. Yeah. Yeah. Because I guess when you're when you're starting off, all you're thinking about is how can I pay my bills? How can I make ends meet? Hopefully. Once you once you have once you have a, a comfortable nest egg, you can take a step back and say, okay, now what can I do to make yes. my life better or yes. make, make the lives of others better?
0: Yep. Absolutely. Tell us more about the special because you talk, we talked right before we started recording and it sounds remarkable. So <laughs> care, share, that.
2: Yeah. So we call it a we call it a special episode of the podcast. And and basically it, we walked around the city of Boston. We did the Freedom Trail. And it was uh, myself and Nate Michaud and Lance Breitstein and Greg Shabika. And I talked to the guys about, you know, various aspects of, of a, a career in this business. And we uh, went to some historical sites. We went to the, the site of the Boston Massacre and Paul Revere's house and the USS Constitution and Old North Church, you know, all of the all of the touristy Boston locations. And we just we just recorded along the way. We had a crew follow us. and. I'm just really pleased with how it came out and I'm hoping that we can carry this forward and do these in other locations with other traders and kind of see different parts of the country. That would be the idea. We we wanna we wanna spread the love about what Traders for a Cause does by the same, you know, uh at the same time producing content that people actually wanna watch and are entertained by. So yep,
0: yep for sure. One of the things that I've heard you know in the past two years from the conferences with the traders i talked to after they come back from that conference man they are on a natural high for months after oh, really? attending
2: it means so much for me to hear that you know uh, doing this when you're when you're in the trenches and everything it's almost like at the end of the weekend uh, like this big sigh of relief that, that everything is over. Uh, and, and only thing I have to go on is all the great feedback to know that we did it right and that we're, we're doing the right thing and, and continuously improving what we do. So that that's awesome to hear that.
0: Do you feel that you and, or the organization knew that, that uh, giving the traders, because it's so isolating, uh this forum where they can come together and really experience the community that they truly are that maybe they get hints of you know on different social media platforms or discord but there's something about being in person there's something about that immersion into a community of like minded people do you think you guys realized how dramatic of an impact that would have on traders when it started
2: I don't know that we knew at first because i i feel like the first few years of our event were we were kind of heading down like a very educational route so when we started off you know everything that we did pertaining to the event itself was thinking about who can we bring in here that's going to bring valuable information to guys that's just going to simply improve upon their craft And what I've found over the years, because we we used to fish for like big names, like we used to fish for guys that are really, really well known in the industry, guys from TV and everything, thinking that this is how we grow the event organically. But what we found is that the event has taken on more of the social aspect first and the educational aspects second. So I think... The primary driver now for the event is that brushing elbows, exchanging war stories, the camaraderie, and the the classroom stuff is secondary, not to take anything away from it. I mean, it's certainly right. still valuable. Yeah. I think we've gone from like 70% educational, 30% social, kind of like flipped it around.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You well, that's what, that's what I'm, when I hear them talk about their experience there, it isn't it isn't alone, just the speakers. It's the people they met. It's the sense of uh, I'm not alone. That that so and so, you know, expressed this challenge, or so and so expressed uh, how they navigated that situation. That sense of brotherhood, you know, sisterhood, family. Uh, that is what is what I'm hearing them talk about. It's not like yeah, they love the speakers and they love the content, but it's more like. After the content, then what? And those conversations that really charge them up. And literally, like, I feel like it's an oxygen tank for them. That's what it sounds like.
2: Absolutely. And and I think, like, there's no substitute for human to human interaction, right? I mean, these guys are all in these chat rooms. They're all on Twitter. And as you said, Discord. And there's something really, really neat about attaching a face and a handshake to somebody who you've been viewing for years as just a screen name. Exactly. And, and it's kind of like, I feel like we're going back to the the days of like chat and AOL. Um, <laughs> you know, like, do we ever go and actually meet anybody in person, like maybe a few times, but this is like, legit, like these guys are, are meeting people who really inspired them yes. in this career path. Yes. And Guys, that they never even thought that they would have an opportunity to rub elbows with. And we're kind of creating the venue for that to happen. And that's, I think that's awesome.
0: It is. It's pretty amazing. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe thus far you guys have raised $1.5 million to date, and that 100% of event donations go directly to the causes, and that it's really run completely by volunteers.
2: Yeah, so I'm the only, I'm the solitary paid employee that uh, basically wears every hat, uh, as is as, as evidenced by my resume that you read earlier. I'm a jack of all trades and a master of none. Uh, but uh, yes, th- that figure actually needs to be adjusted. We're closer to 2 million now. Uh, I don't think that included last year. Beautiful. And yes, we continue to donate all of our event donations to directly to the charities. We are funded primarily through sponsorship Thank and you. designated donations that are for our operating budget. So we have a site that's called Project Impact, where we put all of our archived content, episodes of the podcast, you know, everything that we have recorded from previous events and conferences. We put it up on Project Impact, and people can make a pledge mm-hmm. to have access uh, on a year to year basis.
0: Perfect. So that's kind of how
2: we keep the lights on, so to speak.
0: Yeah. I I also want to just give you a shout out because I've been watching your podcast, uh, specifically uh, Brian Lee, Ricky Analog, and Tim Parker's (laughs) Mm -hmm. interview that you did with them. And what I have to say besides how excellent they are is how deep you go. (laughs) <laughs> and I love that. I love the deep conversations. And boy, those three guys, I am lucky to have met all of them, at least had phone conversations. You know, it's so funny today. It feels like you meet somebody, even when you just talk over the phone or Zoom, but they they all three are deep and you're deep, Zach. So. <laughs> Tell me tell me what that's like to have those kind of deep conversation with traders on your podcast.
2: I think honestly if I if I didn't go down the rabbit hole so to speak in these conversations, I think I would probably put myself to sleep because I don't think I could have an hour long conversation about technical analysis or you know I mean like we almost always end up going down the psychological route because it's just so important anybody can learn when to push a button or pull a lever and, you know, do technical analysis and crunch numbers and everything, you know, where I think great traders uh, rise from the ashes of, of the others is they figure out the nuanced part of trading, which is, you know, discretionary. It's psychological. It is uh, a game that, you know, you have to, kind of pick yourself up and dust yourself off on a regular basis and keep coming back. It takes grit, takes passion. Um, and I think that those are the those are the the conversations that are worth having, you know? I think that they're the most interesting and I think that they're it's definitely the most captivating for me. Yeah. Finance is kind of dry. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> I, I mean, we, we can be honest here. It's, it's a safe place, right? <laughs>
0: this is safe place. finance is a little
2: bit dry i mean like how long can you talk about trading until you're like my god i need to take a nap
0: <laughs> <laughs> the other thing you do that's so great zach is you really listen you know in these podcasts like i i feel that is it's a art form and unfortunately today's environment there's not a lot of listening being done uh but part of what i really enjoy about your podcast is that you do listen to your guest and allow the conversation to pivot unexpectedly because that guest says something unexpected or not what you thought was coming and then you allow it to naturally organically go down that you know road uh so what do you attribute your ability to listen to
2: oh my gosh um you know when i i, I actually I've, I've read books on you know, active listening and the titles escape me right now. But I, I, I did host talk shows back in college on the radio. Um, and we would, we would bring on guests that were just looking to, you know, get their name out and they would give us a list of questions and the questions were numbered like one to 50 and, and I, will never forget sitting down and looking at the questions and the first guest came in and you know she sat down and i literally just read verbatim the first question and i remember my my friends who were you know co-hosts with me were making fun of me like zach you're really just digging right into it aren't you and and (laughs) from (laughs) from that moment i realized like you know you can't just have a script you kind of have to throw the script out the window so to speak. It's good to have a couple ideas. Yeah. And, and 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 a general narrative, the direction that you want to take the conversation. But I guess two things that, that I'm I try to do when I'm interviewing someone is shut the hell up and let them talk. That's kind of an important one. And and don't try to push a square peg into a round hole. Let let the conversation flow. Don't stick to a script. It'll sound mechanical. And I think that's, those are just kind of like, it's kind of like interviewing one-on-one. Right. I mean, kind of have to
0: think. It seems yeah, like a lot yeah. of people haven't taken that course at
2: <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I truly think that it's something that can be practiced. I think it's something that you can improve upon, but I do listen to a lot of podcasts and, Sometimes you just think like you either have a natural inclination to do it, or you don't. And if you're just going to sit there and ask questions, like you could give somebody a list of questions, and they could read the questions, and then they could answer the questions, and then
0: that's not hosting
2: a podcast, that's not having a conversation, that's just, you know, downloading information, right?
0: Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. Look, because I don't, I want to not complicate yeah. this conversation. <laughs> That's
2: Sorry. okay. Hey, Zach, how
1: are you? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, I want to go back to um, maybe some of the psychology of because you have a you you studied psychology a little bit in school, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah. And so I'm wondering, I guess for you this may be a two part question. But for you, like, what do you see the biggest um, psychological issues that you've run into for yourself um, in trading? Uh, And then maybe what you've seen or heard from other, you know, successful traders.
2: I spent uh, a good number of years when I worked with the fund, basically baptism by fire into this industry, I did a lot of risk management. And uh, I feel that from a psychological perspective, separating oneself from the money is really, really important to be a good trader. Because what's really odd and and kind of a, a catch twenty two is that guys typically get into trading because they want financial independence, but what they don't understand about succeeding at the craft is that you almost have to separate the money that's involved entirely, mm-hmm. because placing the right trade does not always equate with making the most money. Does that make sense? Yeah. You you can you can get lucky, or you can be right and make nothing. Um, so I think the, the quicker you can wrap your head around your relationship with money as it pertains to a career in trading, the better, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, what was part B of your question? I apologize.
1: <laughs> no, it was just, a uh, well, one I'd like to say, I mean, Kim and I talk about this a lot around just, you have to really identify what your relationship with money is and not wrap it up the way that we do with society. So I think that's, that's huge to to point out. Um, but I guess, uh, part B of my question is around, uh, what you've seen for other traders, uh, successful traders that you've, if there's any overarching themes that you've noticed.
2: I see a lot of development. So what I, what I, what I tend to see is the guys that discover an ability to trade and make their first significant amount of money tend to spend a lot of it and show off a little bit. And I think this applies to like making money really in any industry. Um, what's fascinating is that a lot of the wealthiest guys that I know drive the least fancy cars. (laughs) They have the best work ethic. They, they are, they are tirelessly trying to perfect what they do. Um, I think there's somewhat of a bell curve, you know, you, you start off very industrious, trying to, trying to learn how to do this, you find success and you go through a period of time where maybe you're, you know, being a bit of a showman and, you know, spending money frivolously, and then you get past that point. And then all of a sudden you come back to your, your roots of, of, uh, you know, being smarter with your finances, if you will. So I think that there's, it's almost like the uh I'm trying to think of how I would compare this. Like like celebrity and fame, right? Yeah. Like when you first become famous, you know, a lot of people that that arrive to the scene, they have this reputation for being assholes. Like they're they're stuck up and full of themselves and they have massive egos. And then they reach a point where, you know, you're like Tom Hanks. Yeah. Like you have nothing to prove to anybody anymore. Yeah. You're completely comfortable in your own skin. You've arrived, so to speak. Yeah. I see that development. I see that as, you know, in traders that I've known since I started doing this about 10 years ago. Um, guys that that were, you know, wet behind the ears back in 2012 that that stood the, t- the test of time and and stuck with it. And now I'm looking to them for... You know, ideas of of ways to to spread the love about our charity. You know, and they were guys that literally got their start coming to our events, wow. and now they're, you know, now it's come full circle.
0: That's beautiful. That must yeah. be incredibly satisfying to just see them kind of birthed in their infancy and now see them be in a position to donate. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us, tell us about the donation aspect. Uh, tell us about how the charities uh, that do benefit, how they're chosen, where do you get them from? uh, And why do you pick the ones you do pick?
2: So we have a couple of longer term relationships with uh, very esteemed nonprofit organizations. Uh, One that comes to mind is Breast Cancer Research Foundation, who's been a, a partner of ours for Oh my gosh, how many years now? Um, they actually just honored us with their oh, Carolyn Lynch Humanitarian Award Rudolph a couple weeks ago, which is why we were in Boston to begin with. Yeah. Um, I think we've raised directly to them over 700,000, um, which is, I guess, one of the reasons why they selected us for the award, which was a huge honor. Um, we've also given a lot of money to The Life You Can Save, which is a, a, a charity focused on, multiplying funding uh, for extreme poverty circumstances in Africa. And the way that we select them is typically based on merit. We do have people on our charity committee who have dedicated a a good portion of their income to giving back Mm -hmm. and who are very particular about where they give back. So they do a lot of due diligence on how efficient the organizations are. And we also have, you know, we use Charity Watch, Charity Navigator, you know, some of the the uh, the standard publications that rate charities too. But, you know, basically figuring out who spends the money the right way mm-hmm. and who makes the greatest impact with the money that they have, that's kind of how we make the selection. Yep. Sometimes it'll be, sometimes it'll be like a a, a speaker that we're targeting come and speak who has a foundation that we want to support as a way of saying thank you for donating their time so that can be a way that we select one we usually select one in las vegas locally so we've given a lot of money to three square which which does uh uh, meals for underprivileged children in las vegas we like to try to give back to the communities that we're hosting our events in so that's another way
0: that's awesome when is uh do we have a date yet for the next conference
2: i can't say yet but i can say that if you follow us on twitter and facebook and subscribe to our mailing list the announcement will be coming soon at the very least to save the date
0: okay and when you have uh what's the largest attendees you've had for the conference
2: so last fall 2021 i believe was our biggest yet and we had two twenty-five in that neighborhood. Wow,
0: yeah. that's amazing.
2: So it's it so here's here's another interesting topic. We always talk about growth. Yeah. What is the trajectory that Traders for a Cause is on? So as we mentioned before about how this event is so unique in that it creates these, you know, uh, instances of camaraderie among traders. How big is too big? I mean, like if we we could probably drop the price, spend less money on our attendees, and we could have a thousand attendees, but I just don't know yes. whether that's the path that we want to take. I think it might lose some of its luster. So you
0: that's that. a, that's a, an
2: important conversation to be had that I, I we have it's, annually.
0: It, it, it's it's a powerful conversation because there is something about and I mean, two hundred fifty people is not that intimate but it's intimate enough where it could i could completely see it becoming overwhelming if a thousand or more are there
2: absolutely i mean if you if you take uh some of our you know higher profile guys like we the john and pete nigerian from cnbc they they regularly come to our event and guys are so thrilled like hey i'm hanging out with a guy that's on tv and everything if we had a thousand people there i don't know that the event wouldn't be enjoyable for them anymore and right now it's kind of just like you're hanging out having a beer with them and okay. and it's totally relaxed and yep. you know there's not a lot of pressure they don't feel like they're being hounded or bothered exactly i feel like exactly. if we took away some of the intimacy that might take away a little of the of the charm
0: yeah so. I, I can appreciate that what what is the advice you'd give to traders now having been around the markets for as long as you have uh, this very volatile interesting time uh mm-hmm. and for for the listeners it's may twelfth, twenty 2022 what would you say if you had someone who is just like wringing their hands even if they're experienced mm-hmm. what would your advice to them be
2: well wow, that's a really good question uh, i would probably defer to to what a lot of the best traders that I know would say, and that is basically that not trading is as much a part of trading as trading is. So sitting on your hands, although oftentimes the, one of the most challenging things to do is often the best decision to be made. So I think that there's a, a common perception that when you get into this business, you're, paying yourself to trade, but I think that you're just as equally paying yourself not to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's kind of a, a simple in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. Good advice.
0: Beautiful, beautiful advice. <laughs> uh, I'm really happy that is what you said. <laughs> <laughs> um, just because it's it's infrequently spoken to. Right. It's infrequently spoken to. It seems to be maybe just socially, more acceptable to always focus on the grind, mm-hmm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. And they, I just don't hear it talked about enough that the grinds can't work if it's never stopped. Like, right?
2: no, it's true. It's true. And, and, and you feel psychologically, you feel unproductive if you're not pressing buttons and pulling levers. And a lot of times that's the right decision to make not only for your well-being but for your pocketbook yeah
0: yeah for sure for sure so you spoke to one of the things that you noticed uh on occasion with successful traders is perhaps that the bravado in the initial stages uh with perhaps not being fiscally that responsible with how they're showing off um, what are the other things that you perhaps notice about successful traders that they might not yet see about themselves maybe they underestimate the importance of a quality they bring that they don't even really recognize because they're just they just kind of don't notice it like a fish doesn't notice the water it's swimming in
2: i think early on guys and gals they want to have a magic formula for success Mm. in this business. They want to know, they want it to be formulaic. Like they want it to be, this is how, this is what you need to do X, Y, and Z in order to be successful. And I think that one thing that's shared among the people that really stand the test of time is that you have to pave your own highway. Like you have to figure this out. Something has to click internally where you're not following someone else's playbook, but writing your own. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's something that guys early on, they are obsessed with, with emulating people that they look up to or following people they look up to into trades. And a lot of them... Don't succeed, because you can't do that. You know, it doesn't work. Um, You have to create your own pathway. You have to figure out what works for you and march to the beat of that drum, not someone else's.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, When we first spoke, you talked to me. I remember you describing what it's like for you at that conference while it's happening as soon as you you said you land and you go into a flow state right and even though you're not really sleeping and even though it's like go 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 uh you're just in bliss the whole mm-hmm. time talk a little bit more about that flow state for yourself
2: yeah i mean i just i i feel like as is evidenced by the the profile that i did for you that you know, I thrive in an area where I can be moving and shaking and getting things done and tick, tick, tick off a list. That That's my happy place. And so getting into that role and landing in Vegas where I know that there's a million things to do, it's just kind of like a naturally happy place for me to be in where I have a lot of things to accomplish and and a finite amount of time to accomplish them. It's like the type of the type of pressure and the type of stress that I thrive on, you know,
0: um,
2: it's, it's within my control. And I, I, I feel that the type of stress that I don't handle well is, are things that I can't control, but, if I can address a problem and I can fix it, if I can find a solution, which is basically events one hundred and one, yeah. I think that's 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 a happy place for me. So I think that's why it kind of works out as a gotcha. producer and director.
0: Yeah. Um, just you, you know, when you shared that with me, I remember thinking, "Wow, how incredible this conference!" must be because when there's i have not attended yet so i'm excited too yeah you better, different... better hold
2: be, hold back on that opinion until you've been there <laughs>
0: <laughs> but no i don't have any doubt it will be all that i've heard and more because in my experience when someone who is Leading or facilitating an experience, who is in that flow state, who is in their bliss as they craft it, those experiences transcend every other kinds of experience because called this, you know, uh, what's the word, corny or not, because they're <laughs> coming from love, like, right. and that love, it, it's, it just kind of energetically spreads throughout the entire experience throughout the entire every speaker, every attendee can feel it. They can feel that love that you are you know kind of coming from in your crafting of it, the architecture of it.
2: yeah, it it, it is certainly an artistic outlet for me to put together the program to figure out the proper flow of speakers. And who, you know, when we're doing roundtable discussions, who fits in with who and what they're going to talk about and kind of like zooming out, so to speak, almost like directing a movie, but it's on a stage, you know, and like figuring out how does this flow? How does the narrative work? That That's fun for me. That's not work. You know what I mean? Like I enjoy it. It's a challenge mm-hmm. taking, I mean, like, gosh, a couple of years ago, we had like 38 speakers or something taking 38 speakers and putting them on a stage in one day, like that is a really complicated jigsaw puzzle because you have to coordinate breaks and lunch and, you know, try to stay on schedule and everything. It's it's challenging, but it's a good challenge that I enjoy and I embrace.
0: Yeah. What, is there a story that you can think of of a trader who perhaps had not been philanthropic before, had not really appreciated the power of giving back, that did and then had their own transformation that they maybe shared with you.
2: Oh, wow, that's interesting. I mean, I think that most of the people that have come to our event, they want to have the means to give back. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of them are struggling to get their start and they're looking for guidance. They're looking for ways to get better and, and to improve upon their craft. I wouldn't say that there's been necessarily a a transformation from a willingness to give or an unwillingness to a willingness based on, you know, what we preach. But I will say that I've seen guys who have gone from not having the means to give to now being in a position where, you know, know, uh, several thousand dollar donation is not a big deal at all for them. Yeah. And that's, that's heartwarming to see, Yeah. you know, because go be. you know, from, from barely being able to know whether or not they're going to make it as a trader to now having excess and, and, and doing something with it, doing good with it. Yeah, I, I definitely have seen that in, in more than one that's trader. So oh yeah.
0: Feel really good to, to watch them flourish and to watch them appreciate how powerful it is to give back.
2: Oh, certainly we have a lot that, I mean, like we've done, we've done contests for, you know, ticket giveaways. We'll probably do more uh, where we have like a questionnaire and we, we open-endedly ask like, you know, what does charity mean to you? Mm -hmm. What would this ticket mean to you? All that kind of stuff. And, And you'd be amazed. I think that there's a lot of people who have a really good heart that really want to give back. They want to make a difference. And they just want to have the means to be able to do it. And it kind of restores my faith in humanity a bit, you know, to read yeah, that, I um, either that, or they're just really, really manipulative and trying to get a free ticket. I mean, no. that, I mean, no. perhaps, <laughs> perhaps, I'd like to see the best in people, you know, glass half full guy right here.
0: Yep. And you know, there's, what is that great quote about, you know, we, we need to always. Treat people or see people as they could be, not even as they are, and then sometimes they live into that. So, for sure, that's what I really feel. Sort of traders for cause is it's you're saying to traders like, we see you as being that philanthropist, and even if you don't maybe see it yourself yet, we see it in you.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I like to I like to say. You know, I don't want you to be willing to write the check. I want you to want to write the check. There's a difference between the two. Definitely. You know?
0: Huge difference. Huge difference. Uh, One of the books that really influenced me early, just in my own, you know, having to rewrite my relationship to money was a book called uh, by Lynn Twist. Uh, The title just flew out of my head, Lynn Twist's book. Uh you'll have to look it up for people Lucas come
1: on ready. Lucas, get on it. <laughs> I'll, put, I'll put the notes in. I'll put it in the notes, everyone. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, a, it's, a,
0: it's a great book about money, and she talks about she she ran a nonprofit. Uh uh her her nonprofits escaping me too. But the heart of the story, the important part of that story is she received in 24 hours two separate donations. One of them was from a very wealthy man who had just kind of been dragged through the mud uh, and he wanted to kind of, you know, buy back with this donation, his name, his reputation. Mm -hmm. And she said she felt the energy of that in as he slid the check across the desk to her. And that same day she was, you know, in the a church basement. It was a fancy office where that guy worked. And then church basement with a woman who was a housekeeper who donated, you know, $50 in all $1 bills. Like, and she said she felt the energy of that woman's $50, so caring about the cause versus his, you know very expensive high donation and she was she was like wow the energies of these two donations are so different mm-hmm. and she actually returned that man's check wow and she said when you want to give to us because you believe in what we're up to we'll be happy to accept your donation right and the amazing part of that story because she felt like that money isn't going to go at the level that that woman's will, because there's so much love in that donation and generosity, because that was a lot of money for her. Um, 10 years later, that man wrote her a letter and said, you were the only person who ever refused my you know, money the way you did. it, it made me have to take a hard look at myself. And now here is my check for so much more. And it's not from my nonprofit, it's from my personal account. Because Amazing. like, it made him do the work on it himself. And it just, yeah, it blew me away. It blew me away about how it's not so much the amount, but the intention behind the amount.
2: Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. That's a, that's a uh, it's a an ongoing project for us to figure out ways to, you know deeply connect with the donors and get them really engaged in what it is that we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And I think that the implications are huge because you know by by helping us spread our mission, by helping us to teach this uh, you know the importance of philanthropy to these guys, yeah. you're not just you know giving a man a fish, you're teaching a man to fish, so to speak. And who knows how successful some of these guys may become absolutely and if and if they learn early on how important it is you could be you could be making moving mountains so to speak with uh with the support of what we do
0: absolutely absolutely i feel you guys are ultimately teaching them a huge piece of the life puzzle of what a truly satisfying uh you know filled with equanimity kind of experience of living and working and trading includes because i don't know that that gets spoken about nearly enough and yet it really can change your whole uh inner world when you feel it's a human need you know you and i have talked about the needs too that i you know i'm always fascinated about that are behind the scene of what is operating behind a trader's Trades, never mind choices that they make, but that need for contribution um, is—it's a human need. We all have it, but I, I don't know that a lot of people know how to get that itch scratched. And I, I feel traders for Cause is one of the ways. And you guys are definitely helping them to understand that that's a need. That when you get it met, whoo, it is—it is a natural high. It is. Oh my a natural gosh! High. Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, I feel like we're uh, we're we're trying. We're trying to we're trying to do good work.
0: I think you're I think you're not trying. I think you're succeeding.
2: <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate you're that.
0: Welcome. You're welcome. Thank you so much for coming on this podcast. It's just always a deep conversation with you, Zach, every time, and I'm very grateful for what you're doing. For. Traders for a Cause and for all the organizations and nonprofits you're raising that money for and for creating such an incredible forum that allows traders to really come together, connect deeply and be transformed. I mean, that's what's happening at that conference every year. So, and all the content you put out. So thank you.
2: Oh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. I look forward to meeting you in the fall. Dates to be determined, but they will will be out soon, I promise. Okay, good. And uh, I look forward to hearing from you then.
0: Good. Look, It'll be great. All right, thank you, Zach. Have fabulous. We'll see you soon.
2: Right. Take care.
0: Okay, aloha.
1: This is the Wall Street Coach podcast with Kim Ann Curtain. You can download Kim's free ebook, Discipline and Finding Your Edge, at traderdiscipline.com, and learn more about working with Kim and her team at theWallStreetCoach.com. And if you're feeling generous, please leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening.